0: Hello and welcome to The Politics of Peterborough, the podcast where we chat with the people who have been elected to make decisions about our city and those who try to influence them. I'm your host, Dave Adcock. As we begin 2023, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. If you found it interesting, it would be great if you could take the time to let other people know about it so that we can continue to grow and continue to get answers from those who shape our city's future. If you have any feedback on the episodes, please do get in touch. Either send a tweet using the hashtag politicspeterborough Direct message us on either Twitter or Facebook at Politics P-B-O-R-O, or send an email to politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. On with the show. Our guest for this episode has been involved in higher education for nearly 20 years. He spent 10 years at the University of Hertfordshire, followed by five years at the University of Worcester. In January 2021, he was appointed as the inaugural principal of ARU Peterborough. Professor Ross Renton, welcome to the politics of Peterborough. Hello. So how did you end up uh, ending up in higher education? I have a question. Like many
1: these things, it's, it's by accident. So um, originally I was going to go off and be a scientist. That was kind of my uh, direction of travel. Um, but when I was a student, I got very involved in uh, the university and the workings of it. Um, and then I was going to do one year uh, with the university uh, and it kind of stayed. Um, so, yeah, I've had a student card for a lot longer than I would ever expected. <laughs>
0: Now, had you have a, a visited Peterborough or come across the city before uh, coming across this job? Yeah, so a lot, like other people perhaps, I um, passed through Peterborough quite a bit, um,
1: uh, however I did know uh, a bit about it because I'd done some work in the past around social mobility and Peterborough came up time and time again. So that's about people progressing um, and particularly so, uh, people progressing to higher education. So it was an area I knew quite a bit about. I've done uh, some national work around um, progression to higher education and I think called widening participation and Peterborough would constantly come up as an area area that needed uh, additional work, additional support. So I knew quite well from that, but possibly not from uh, as well as I do now in terms of the, the fantastic things in the city. And what have been your impressions since moving to the area? I have to say, it's been immensely welcoming. Um, so I, I think the city is a hidden gem. Um, uh, and I think people who live here know that. Um, there's lots of uh, things that are talking negatively about the city. Uh, and sometimes I hear people talk about there being a lack of ambition. I don't agree. Uh, I think uh, there's a huge amount of talent, and actually, I've come across quite a lot of ambition both for the city but also for individuals. As well. Um, I think the diversity of the city, the richness we've got here, is just phenomenal. Um, and having worked in, in various uh, cities in England and obviously lived in Scotland, as you can tell from my accent, um, I, I just think this city has got fantastic opportunity. And uh, we're part of it, but we're not the only part of its future. Um, and
0: I, I'm really proud to be part of it. You seem to have been quite active since starting your role in trying to promote Peterborough as a city. Uh, An example of that being suggesting that it would be a good location for Marks and Spencers to move their headquarters after the CEO made noises about moving it outside of London. Um, You've also taken a place on the Combined Authorities Employment and Skills Board and become a governor of City College. Do you see that as part of your role within the university or is that a personal decision after moving locally? Um, my view is universities are, are
1: aren't islands. So the worst thing we could do is put fences and walls around our campus, um, and uh, just focus on in ourselves. Uh, I think a really good university has got a civic um, uh, a civic role in what it does. I, and look, I, I think we all have to advocate for this city, um, so I do it nationally, and in fact now internationally, but the whole team do it here, uh, and it's part of being uh, in a city where we've got a, a city council that's doing that, we've got a combined authority, but also loads of businesses and organisations who've got a role in ensuring this city should thrive and grow. Um, so, I, like, i you know, if I can play a part in that and support part of that, really pleased to, to be able to do so. But I kind of expect our staff and students to do that as well. It's, you know, a really responsible, a good neighbour in the city, but
0: being really integrated into its future. Now, as said in the introduction, you were appointed in January of 2021. Um, I'm not sure at that point whether. Uh, the spade has been put into the ground of the building we're sitting in. Um, what have been the main challenges for getting things up and running in that time? Yeah, so uh, perhaps some people might want to forget in terms of
1: COVID was, uh, uh, is high at that point. And in fact, most of the process for my appointment uh, was online. Mm-hmm you just couldn't meet with people um and i remember coming over and visiting this site and it was a a car park with some uh, harris fencing around it um and i have to say I was a little bit um, concerned when it's got gosh we're going to open this in in less than two years and it has been less than two years um if you look at it now um, to have a building open on time to have students to the door on time when I speak to others across higher education, I speak to even some of our um, kind of great advocates and supporters. They're really surprised that it was delivered, and there's been lots of challenges. I mean, to to be really open with you, from supply chain, trying to get some of the materials here, um, both uh, in terms of the kind of world economy, geopolitical issues. Um, you know, Ukraine has had an impact. Um, workforce having uh, the the workforce with our builder, but I have to say they've done a great job. And, um, uh, and and we're kind of being demanding on it, we needed to, to open. So, you know, being really clear, this was a, a hard deadline for us to be open, to get those students to the door. And if you think about it as well, those students who joined us in that first cohort, uh, the pioneers, they came to visit in open days when this was a concrete shell. Uh, and I kind of, uh, and I liken it to booking a, a holiday, Uh, I wouldn't book a holiday to a hotel that wasn't finished. Uh, So I I think these students uh, have been fantastic in really seeing the vision uh, the city and
0: and we had for the university and now realising it and they're they're part of that journey. What's your response to people that say that this has just been a a very expensive replacement to ARU's previous campus within the city rather than anything new? Yeah,
1: I'd have to say, first of all, Have you been to Guildhouse? Have you been round it? I mean, it wasn't a purpose-built university building by any means. It was a former uh, headquarters for British Sugar, is my understanding, and then I think for a video company as well. But look, it it did its job. It had a focus as well around health courses. This is far broader. So if you look at our course portfolio, uh, we've got a fantastic range of courses. Uh, We had a wander around today around some of the building. You can see the types of specialist facilities. And if we want to raise higher skills in the city and region, you need those specialist facilities for people to come in and get real experience. So our biomedical uh, sciences lab, that just doesn't exist before. That's an expensive facility to have. But actually, those students are going to make a huge contribution, both to our city, but actually, I'm hoping nationally and internationally. Some of the students will go on to do PhDs. Some of the students will create knowledge. And that's really exciting here in Peterborough. So, you know, these things are expensive, but it's an investment for the future. And if you look at it in terms of a long term investment,
0: this is really good value, in my view. When uh, the university was first announced, there was hope that it would be a standalone university, a, a literal university of Peterborough. Has it been beneficial for this to be an offshoot of ARU rather than being a standalone university?
1: Yeah, and it's a really good question, and I think there's a kind of misunderstanding about how it's set up. So, uh, just to give a bit of clarity about the, the arrangement. There's a set of agreements between Angler Ruskin as the as the what's called the academic partner, and then there's the combined authority and Peterborough City Council, and they work as three partners uh, around that. And there's a, a pathway towards it becoming its own independent institution. In doing that it means that. All those steps allow the institution to grow in a really managed way, but also benefit from a really large and successful institution Uh, and where there's been examples of other universities starting from scratch. They haven't had that growth. Uh, they haven't been able to get the investment or tap into the experience for example the research institutes that are in the aru uh, been able to get people researching from day one we have one funding already from innovate uk here in people that just wouldn't normally happen so i think having that set up and having those various stages and for us for example we've got our own board of governors we've got a fantastic chair of governors uh, you know, nationally uh, renowned, uh, Rob Behrens. Uh, People aren't aren't aware of him, you know, use your favourite search engine, find out about him. But he uh, previously uh, was the Ombudsman for Higher Education. Huge amounts of integrity, really passionate about higher education. Having people like that, there's a chief nurse for the local health trust, NWAFT. Uh, We've got a CEO of the uh, PLC company, lives locally. All these things just bring a wealth of experience. So we're on that journey. But we've got all the benefits
0: of an established institution. So I think you have kind of got the best of both worlds here in Peterborough. Phase one of the university was completed in August and opened to students in September. We're three months on now from that point. How have things gone so far? How are you finding the process? Yeah, I mean, as we've said already, it wasn't a given that it would be open in time, um, but
1: if you I mean, if anyone hasn't visited the building, please do, um, and I'll give you a slight advert, hopefully uh, this won't be out of date, but it, we've got our next opening day uh, towards the end of January, so again, have a look at our website uh, for that, and even if you're not thinking about course, you're really more than welcome to come in and visit, and in fact, if you're passing, come in for a coffee. And we've designed it that way. Uh, we've had a really great start. Like We've attracted staff. And the, the things that people don't often see, we had to bring staff uh, to the city. And some have returned to the city after growing up here and teaching in university and working in universities across the UK and further afield. Mm-hmm. But also we've got students who have came from uh, both this region but also again further afield and having uh, a start uh, in which we had a really vibrant kind of campus where people are engaging across courses uh, and uh, one of the things i'm really pleased about is there, there isn't the silos that you might uh, have seen uh, kind of years ago within universities and hopefully universities are changing more generally anyway. But you've got experience. If you're studying one of our environmental science courses, you'll get to work with students in other courses. You get to partner with them and share your knowledge and experience. So it makes for a really great learning experience. And in January, we've got our next cohort of students joining us. And uh, with that, uh, our international students, which I'm really delighted to have come to the city. I think it it starts to, to bring a completely different angle to what we're doing I think our students, the undergraduate ones from home, benefit massively from having international students here and sharing experiences and culture. And international students benefit from coming to the UK and finding about Peterborough. And if you think about it, even if a small number of them go back to their home countries and say, Peterborough is a really exciting place. We want to invest in there. We want to bring the family business or we want to expand. It puts us on the map. So, you know, this is just the start. It's really early days, but
0: I've been really pleased about the progress we've made. Now the initial figures uh, when the university was announced was that it was hoped to have two and a half thousand students in its first year. How many are enrolled at this point?
1: Yeah so there's different
0: types of students so kind of the headline figure
1: there um, was quite early on I think when they were coming up with the, the university uh, and probably prior to Covid and everything else but um, the numbers we're looking at at the moment I think we're around about 630 on-campus students. We'll probably got another 130 or so um, coming in January got other students are studying on short courses with us um, uh, so uh, we've got 300 we're working with small business britain on with a short course to help people get growth we've got the help to help the grow program um which uh, launching in january as well so those numbers are stepping up so let's see where we are at the end of the year um, on it but i think compared to any other institution that started in the uk our figures are far higher uh, and we're ambitious and we should be ambitious so we'll keep uh, we'll keep that challenge going and as i say we're bringing international students probably earlier than we initially uh was in the plans when you know long before i arrived uh, and others were involved i think those kind of things make a difference and the other side for me is to make sure we've got quality managed growth the real bit for me Uh, to get this right, is the student experience. Students are getting high quality higher education and research taking place in the university and
0: progressing into employment. We get that bit right, that's the most important in my view. What proportion, I don't know whether you have the figures or not, but are from the local vicinity?
1: Yeah, so don't have the final figures on that yet but what I do have is an indicator of it so when we looked at our first set of applications before the clearing period uh, and for those who don't know clearings the the bit where results day. that was looking at 47% from PE postcodes. Now PE postcodes stretch, um, they're not just in Peterborough, so caveat that that's pretty good going. And if you look at some of the statistics about progression to higher education in our city it's some of the lowest in the country so one of the measures of thing called nvq level four uh, and that is, is a, the first rung of higher education so it's particularly low in the city here so i'm really pleased to see that number well obviously we keep working at that for me as well it's not just about a headline figure of e percentage it's also about who from what backgrounds First generation people going to higher education, we know is an issue. Those coming into certain subjects. So um, we were talking about education and more men into education is a good example. More women into engineering is another good example. We need to make sure we're thinking differently about how we approach that. And certainly when the senior team here and our colleagues across the institution are looking about how we are putting together our marketing, how we're talking about our courses, how we're constructing our courses, in fact, we're looking at that. How do we role model these things? How do we support those who would not have had the opportunity before, whether they're leaving school or college or already in employment? And it's a bit that you know, I think sometimes forgotten. There's lots of people who didn't have the opportunity first time around, but there's no lack of talent. You know, they, there's, there's people out there who I've met across the city who are more than capable of getting a university degree. And we need to make sure we're supporting them, bringing them the advice, making sure they understand what benefit will be in their workplace. Uh, and the reason I say that is when I speak to employers, almost without exception, all of them talk to me about issues around attracting the right talent and having high enough skills, almost without exception. And I've been out to numerous, if you follow on uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or any of these things, you'll see the amount of businesses you've been out to and my colleagues have as well. So these are really important things
0: to get right. You said it's around uh, 50% uh, are from the local area or from PE postcodes. How does that compare to other universities? Is that quite high? Or yeah, Yes, so it, it depends which institution. So uh, some universities
1: are really regional recruiters, so they'll, they'll pull from a wider region. So, for example, like my previous institution over in Worcester, we would pull down from the West Midlands. Um, so we'd take students from Birmingham, particularly Dudley, and we'd pull down into Bristol uh, and like then outside of that we did really well in Europe <laughs> uh- which obviously there's been changes there, but actually we did well in Norway, which hasn't been uh, impacted by uh, some of those changes. So, yeah, it kind of depends on the institution, some courses as well. So, actually, courses make a big difference. Uh, So, uh, a lot of health courses often are quite hyper-local, whereas some of the more creative courses in universities tend to pull uh, across the the country. So, it's probably more of a mixed picture when you look at it, depending on the institution
0: uh, you're working with. Phase two of the university's development, uh, due to be completed uh, in the middle of next year, Um, it's not another teaching building, but an innovation and research center. Can you talk us through what that is, how it links to the university as a whole, and what benefits that will bring to Peterborough as a city?
1: Yeah, so phase two um, is being led by the combined authority and some of the funding came uh, uh, from kind of central government. And the purpose of that is to get um, businesses and organisations to get the research up and running in the city. Uh, And I think that's really important for us. So having a facility on the campus where they're rubbing shoulders with our expert uh, academics, rubbing shoulders with our students uh, really makes a difference. I've seen that happen on campuses before. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that start to flourish. Um, And things that will enable that, for example, is we've been able to secure um, through ARU's research team some funding for supporting uh, knowledge transfer partnership in the city, a thing called KTPs, uh, and that's working with Opportunity Peterborough. So you need to grow uh, that, so that's where you've got things that can spin out, things can be well supported. And we're also uh, working on various bids as well to see how we can support some of the the bottom-up and top-down research. So bottom-up, small organisations doing a little bit of R&D. And there's really good examples in Peterborough, things we come across all the time. The other side of it is let's get some big companies here uh, attracted to come into Peterborough to bring their R&D. So that could be about uh, hydrogen distribution, just an example. It could be around some of the other net zero technologies. Peterborough has got a really great engineering heritage. And as I say, I see no lack of talent. So if we can match them up, but we can make sure the good educational pathway there. The research can be supported. There's a supply chain around that. I think you've really got a recipe for growth in the city.
0: Phase three was recently given the go ahead by the council's planning committee, uh, which will be a second teaching facility, including a living lab, which will be open to the public. Tell us what the living lab will be and, and what benefits will that bring to the, the residents of Peterborough?
1: Yeah no absolutely and the um uh, the date is 24 September 24 is what we're aiming for um uh uh, and I'm sure there'll be lots of pressures on that. So you know, we'll see how we get on, but that is that is our target for it. And um, this is a really exciting facility. And um, for a university to work, it needs to be able to have a range of specialist facilities. So you, here in phase one, you get a flavour of that. You know, there's a quite high proportion of specialist facilities. We need more of that in phase um, uh, phase three. The principle I have around what we're doing is it needs to be able to benefit our city at all ages, at all stages. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I use it, an example of the community day uh, earlier, but the community day bringing, you know, I think it was about 2000 people came on to site there, getting people enthused and engaged about what higher education means, again, no matter the age. So in phase three, we've got some more of that specialist space. So we've got microbiology lab, tissue culture lab going into there, three new engineering spaces as well. But also the living lab is there and um, I always have to explain the living lab to people, but um, there's a really good kind of hierarchy, uh, kind of pyramid way to explain it. So it's where you can bring together the public um, and again, all ages with uh, industry often, or it could be health trust, uh, for example, with our expert uh, lecturers and researchers. And a good example might be around dementia care. So uh company has got a, a concept around how you can support those suffering with dementia. How do we get the participatory research working together with uh, those uh, that are suffering uh, with dementia to get access to that device, getting support from our researchers to see the impact is true, uh, You know, looking at the evidence that's happening around there. So that's one example of how a Living Lab can work. The other for us is about getting people engaged around some of the advanced technologies that are being created. Uh, and we're really pleased to be working with uh, organizations like um, Primary Engineer, but also working with Cambridge Science Center But how do we get people enthused and enthralled about all the wonderful opportunities, bring them onto campus, get them involved in real experiments and having a space to do that in the heart of the city means an awful lot and it means an awful lot to our engineers and our scientists and I know it means an awful lot to the city Um, and look, some of it will develop over time, but we are looking to put in some really uh, exciting technology in there. Uh, We need to make sure it's versatile. So, uh, you know, we're able to bring in primary school children at the same time as bringing people who are already in industry, but want to maybe take benefit from, for example, um, our extended reality suite that we would have. So it's it's that bit of making something work for our whole city. So it's a big challenge. But look, we should be pushing ourselves. The city should be pushing what it wants from it uh, and what we want to do uh, with the university. But it isn't just about the Living Lab. As I say, I want people to benefit from the whole university. So almost every day over the past few weeks, we've had schools onto campus, not for us to recruit to come onto our courses. And if I'm really honest, if we get more people progressing to any university, that's a win. And I would be really pleased to see that happen. So these kind of things are important. In fact, today I think we're going to event with about two hundred students coming uh, this evening uh, in the week before Christmas, uh, with some schools already finished. So hopefully um, they'll have a fantastic time on campus. And the other kind of thing I, I wanted to kind of just get across, if that's okay, is that it's not just about what happens here on the building. Uh, no buildings are really important, but Kind of people are, are the bit that's going to make a difference in this so uh, an example of that is a new into university center set up um really kind of not far at all from the campus but really close to where we know that there is really low progression to he so that's got a range of support including after school clubs mentoring uh, getting people uh, support really early on again with lots of potential lots of talent how do we make sure they're supported at every step of the way and again, I think lots of the students will progress straight into the workplace. Some will go into degree apprenticeships. Some will come to us, but others will go off to every type of university. And again, if you want a measure of success from me, if we see more people progressing uh, into high quality employment or high quality um, education. We've got a win.
0: The 2021 census showed that the only age group within Peterborough that saw a drop in numbers is 20 to 24 year olds, down 6% from 2011. Do you think that opening of the university will reverse that trend? Yeah, It's really, really
1: interesting. And it's one of the things we've been looking at in terms of uh, the demographics of the city and region. I think there's lots of things that will change that. Not just the university. I think if you look at some of the house development, housing developments are taking place. Some of the industries that are moving to the city, um, and I'm really pleased to see that growth. And many of them have cited the university for a reason. Invest and McCormick's are a good example of that. If you go into the building, our logo's up there, for example. Um, But it's a really key group. The the way to attract people to the city or back to the city, I think, is that high quality employment, really good uh, quality housing as well. People can get access to Um, and also things happening in the city. So the cultural element's important. We're part of the cultural alliance in the city. I want to make sure that we've got a programme of cultural activity as well, um, whether it be guest lectures, activities to bring kids along to. That, that's a bit that attracts people to come and see. This city has got a lot going on. Uh, and it doesn't take you long to walk up from the campus and go into the cathedral where there's still, you know, uh, our Cronwell's damaged to the back of the cathedral. You know, you've got, uh, you know, steeped in history in this city. And I think we need to get more of our assets to bring people, as I say, either to the city for the first time or bring them back. And as I say, some of our
0: staff have came back to the city because of the university come to work here. The more we can do with that, the better. Now, the 2021 census also showed that Peterborough's population over 65 has grown by 23% in the last 10 years. Um, You're co-chair of FACE, which is the Forum for Access and Continuing Education, and you recently wrote a piece about universities attracting those over the age of 60. Are you hoping to see an increase in the number of older students at the university as it establish itself? Yeah,
1: um, and thank you for reading the piece. Um, uh, Look, I don't think we're getting a massive numbers of people over 60 coming to university, but we should see more. Uh, and it's uh, for a whole range of reasons. So if you haven't read the article, please uh, have a look at it. I'll do some self-promotion. Uh, but the purpose uh, of that is, and many of your listeners will know this. You get experience from others, you know, and having a classroom uh, with people who come with someone coming straight to 18 an year old and having a completely under- different understanding of the world and actually some different values. Sitting in a room with someone who's 65, who's still got years left to work, you know, I would be retiring at 65 uh, in that classroom and sharing their experiences and their skills. I think that's a really powerful um, experience for everyone involved. But also the reality is those in primary school at the moment won't be retiring at 65 or 70. So people have multiple uh, careers. And with that, they'll need to keep up with the technologies. They'll need to keep up with the opportunities that come. Uh, and uh, we shouldn't just write people off when they reach a certain age and say, "Yeah, you're too old now to learn, you're too old to engage and, uh, I think of my, my own grandfather, who, who was still learning, still teaching him things. He didn't go to university, left school really young, but he was still learning uh, really into to kind of the later years. In fact, it was only when he stopped working, he had the opportunity to do that. So, you know, yes, of course, employment is really key for what we're doing. But also people should just the curiosity and learning is really powerful.
0: The university is the first step of the potential overhaul of the, the embankment. Um, what are your thoughts on the site as it is currently?
1: Yeah, um, look, I'm a a huge fan of having usable green space uh, in a city. Uh, And I grew up um, just in the outskirts of Glasgow. It was fantastic public parks. People have some uh, on that, but a lot of that's for usable space about how people can um, come and have a pet in it, go to events on it, uh, and I think the embankment's got some of that already. But actually, there's an awful lot that isn't that usable. Um, uh, and I, you know, if you haven't been, come Friday night, wander around. It doesn't feel um, it doesn't feel that inviting at times. So I think there is work to be done around the embankment. Uh, I, I think having a night nice economy in the city makes an awful. Lot of sense as well, so I did see the proposals about having maybe some restaurants and things down the river. There's already some of that activity taking place. I've been to some of those places. Would do an advert, but it was a very nice meal I had, uh, down there. Um, it, these things are important. But in terms of the university and how we grow, I think we need to be really sympathetic to that. Have lots of high quality green space to use. It's important for our staff. It's important for students and it's important for the city. So having, uh, for example, in phase three, outside of that, we've got a rain garden, external teaching space. Everything that we're opening up here is open to the public to come and use. Um, As I say, deliberately, there is no fence to the walls around a campus. There is in other universities. Um, we're looking at ways of bringing people onto the site, things that they can engage with uh, on uh, the campus. So hopefully as we grow, we can maintain that and make sure that this is a, a great place to come as a family, even just walk your dog. But as you walk past, you might get curious about a course. You might be curious about what they're doing in the biomedical science lab, or you might see them building a you know a Formula E car, which is the electric car, and all these things. And go, oh, gosh, I want to find out more. I want to bring the kids along to that. So it's getting it right. And I think it's about the balance, having really good work with, both the city council, but also uh, with the, the rest of the communities, uh, and uh, many people would have met me going out and visiting community groups, going out uh, and talking about the university and taking questions. Um, and that will be shaped. Our future will
0: be shaped by those interactions. Now there was a plan for the univ- uh, for the embankment uh, release back in March. On that plan, there was no place for the, the running track nearby. Um, would you be disappointed to see that go elsewhere in the city? Um,
1: uh, we've met with the, the, those who operate the uh, running track or the club that, that uses it. I, I think we need good running facilities in the city. I think we need good sports facilities more generally. I'll be an advocate for that. Um, if it does have to move, uh, then I'd advocate for it to be uh, equal or better. Um, uh, and particularly for those, uh, maybe, for example, the the wheeled athlete, being able to use, uh, there already is, uh, I know it's getting used by those with uh, disabilities at the moment, so uh, I want to see investment. So uh, I've said that to them, you know, if it were to move at some point, it's not my decision, you know, I'd... I'd I would have very little involvement in that sense, but um, I'd be an advocate for there to be high quality sports facilities wherever it is in the city. So if there were proposals to, to move it, uh, to move anything that people are using, then um, certainly I'd be advocating for there to be you know, a high quality provision elsewhere in the
0: city. It is where it is at the moment, does that make it a potential asset for the university, something that could encourage people here or that you could use as part of everyday life?
1: Potentially, uh, potentially. Um, I, you know, we've had conversations with the running uh, club that uses it. I think our staff and students, we were supporting, for example, the uh, the, the run that took place in the city where, um, in fact, we had a number of staff running in that and students as well. Um, some did better than others. I, I, you know, I'm supported from the sidelines. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I think there's a, a bit of how do we make sure everyone benefits from the sports facilities that are here, as I say. Um, we would want that, the case with all the facilities in the city. Now, what I don't want to do is replicate things. So where there is already good facilities in the city uh, or there could be investment in other areas, then I I think that makes absolute sense. So for example, our students going in and even using the cafes and bars in the city rather than others developing that, that makes absolute sense for me. You know, if there's uh, the climbing wall, I'm really excited about getting developed in the park. I think students and staff will engage with that. I also think that'll bring people to the city. Having um, world-class or national sports facilities in our city Uh, And I've been in one already that that did that. Worcester had it with our basketball, for example, uh, and that brought people into the city in large numbers. Um, And it got people to think about education in a different way as well. So by us being involved in these things. uh, And you may have noticed we're uh, supporting uh, the Peterborough United's women's team. Um, That that makes good sense for us about seeing people come through, using sport uh, as a way to improve health, but also for us to engage uh, with the educational opportunities
0: when the plans were first released, it's fair to say that you weren't overly positive about the inclusion or the positioning of the arena. Was it having an arena or a stadium there? Was its position on the plan? Are you against it entirely? Where do you stand with that?
1: Yeah, I mean, in some ways, my view probably isn't kind of relevant. In some ways, I, I think the that I think it's our responsibility is to make sure the university's got room for growth. Um, and I think that was the point I made at the time. So certainly not against the football club, but you know, we've got a fantastic relationship with them. Um, and long may that be the case. In fact, our vice-principal is on the BWA United Foundation as well. But what wouldn't work is having a stadium right on top of the campus. I just don't think that would be good for the stadium. I don't think it'd be good for the city. I said that at the time, but really want to work with, um, you know, whatever opportunities come up in, look, you know, having a high quality sports taking place in the city, um, uh, and having investment in the city is important. So let's see what comes forward in the future.
0: How important is it for you to have a good relationship with the council? it's absolutely vital and
1: uh, it's at all levels so for us um uh, and this has been my experience in all universities actually the the universities uh, as I said before can sometimes be seen you know either the um the tower and the hill or the island you know separate away from here we've got an opportunity to do things differently in Peterborough Um, and to be really integrated into the strategies of the the, the council. So how does the council want to grow and bring inward investment in? How do we want to get research and innovation taking place here? How do we grow the skills levels? Because we're only part of the story. Uh, So, for example, we can do lots of work to bring a wealth of courses, but you're not going to get people progressing. You're not going to get lots of applications if there's a big gap in the skill levels below university level. So, you know, the bit that allows people to access higher education in the first place. So we need the schools and the colleges to do the right qualifications for that. We need to be working with the council about mapping that out. Um, I've been really pleased with the response we've had uh, from the officers. They've been really uh, engaged in what we're doing. They've been huge advocates for the university, but also they've been asking the right questions. So, you know, don't get me wrong. We get challenges. We get asked about what we're doing in certain areas, why we've chosen to go in a particular path. Um, they've got a seat on our boards uh, as well, as does the combined authority, so they've got an opportunity as well to hold us to account and what we're doing. I think that's a healthy relationship. But at the same time, you know, I also raise things with the council. I'll uh, I'll bring forward things that are in the interest of the students uh, and staff, but also, I think, in the interests of our local community. If I come across things when uh, we're out and about supporting, as we should, you know, it's but being good partners around these. So... I have to say I've had an excellent experience uh, up to now, both with the officers and the members across the spectrum. They've been really supportive. They've been asking the right questions and they've been advocating for the university. Um, It doesn't happen every day. Your city uh, gets this kind of investment
0: and we need to make sure that we're stewarding it in the right way. How has it been dealing with the different different levels of politics in Peterborough? So we have the council, there is the combined authority and obviously we have the, the national government as well.
1: It's possibly more complex than um, certainly a Elsewhere, um, uh, particularly with kind of the various layers are there. But to be fair, in other places of work, there have been um, you know city council, and you've had a county council. So there's there's always layers there of, of some form. I, I think there's a bit for me which is approach it with openness and transparency. I think be um, integrity and what we're doing is really key, um, and ensure people understand what we're trying to achieve. And we've got a really clear mission, and that helps an awful lot. You know, it's I think if we were just here for the sake of higher education, we wouldn't uh, have had such a great start to what we're doing. And I think it's a constant dialogue. It's making sure people understand what's going on. Um, We are, you know, we've got lots of uh, other influences on what we do so that we've got lots of regulators involved in in higher education. So we've got um, the Office for Students. We've got Ofsted. They're also involved uh, as well. And then we're we're involved more nationally with a set of quality standards as well. So there's quite a lot of complexity to how a a university operates. So some of that is well sharing uh, with our partners, making sure they understand kind of what we have to deliver, even just kind of outside of the aspirations of this institution, we need to meet certain things uh, to be successful in what we're doing. So um, I, I've had a good experience, I have to say. I think people have been really willing on what we're doing, to say asking the right questions at the right times, um, and um, coming onto campus and meeting with staff as well. And I think that many-to-many approach is where the success will come. It shouldn't be about me, it shouldn't be about my senior team, it should be about how do we make this a long-term success in our city
0: with the current cost of living crisis, do you feel that potential students will take the decision not to go to university because of the cost? Yeah, I think it, I think it's a, it's a challenge for those that want to come to university. There's
1: fairly high employment at the moment, so if you look at national statistics around that, there is fairly high employment. It's not necessarily high paid employment. Um, uh a sort of strange phenomenon of heading possibly towards a recession um, uh, but having um, fairly high employment um that, that is a challenge. I think for that, we've got a job to do on that, which is making people understand or helping people understand what difference it makes to have a higher education. Also, to show the different options that are available. So, for example, degree apprenticeships where they're able to earn whilst they learn those students. So, uh, it's you know, the best way to describe it is overly simplified, but is it, you know, day release from from work where you're able to get your theory, you're able to get that bit of creating knowledge with our expert lectures while still being uh, an employment and growing with the organisation, the business you're working in is really important. The other part is to make sure people understand the wealth of support that's available. So there is a bit of government support there in terms of the, uh, there's a fee loan and you only pay it back when you start earning over a certain amount and there's access for some students to additional support top of that and also depending on your course so some of the health courses for example there's additional money is available to support you there but also once you start with us we've got a thing called a hardship fund and i really don't want your finances to be a barrier to coming to university so um, we're really committed to spending that you know um, if we don't spend it that's more of an issue than, than than uh than than having money sitting there we want to get students to get the benefit but even small things on campus make a difference and, and when we were walking up uh, today in the building uh, you'd have seen the free fruits i've got porridge and soup available for free as well got one pound lunch available to students um we've got a money advice service to help people plan uh, their monies um we've got an accommodation to help people find accommodation and, and advising around that all those things are it's us being hopefully a responsible institution um but yeah like finances are a challenge nationally we're seeing that the kind of questions we're getting at open days around the support that people might get uh, they're coming up and uh, we've got a job to make sure we explain the benefits of higher education explain the support that's available. Um, and I think it's not just our job actually, I think it's also schools and colleges and, and making sure that those who benefit the most don't miss out on the opportunity. And those who benefit the most sometimes come from those backgrounds where mum and
0: dad haven't been to university. and um, So we need to make sure that we keep getting that message out and we keep the support there during the initial conservative leadership contest in the summer uh, rishi sunak stated that quote courses which don't improve earning potential should be scrapped end quote does that position have merit look i think
1: a change from certainly when i first went to university if you spoke to people about why they went to university a lot of them would talk about you know they loved the course they were this is you know what got them excited etc and over the years i've seen a change and the conversation um, Bill is there about, you know, I want to make a difference it actually comes up quite a bit and that's a big change in people's uh, views. But you will hear people saying, I want to get a good quality job at the end. I want to get a job. So look, we, we can ignore that. Uh, that is part of our role. We've designed our courses that way. I, I think, however, you know, a headline sometimes uh, is an oversimplification. So what we need to look at is a diverse sector of higher education. So I know fantastic institutions across the country are working uh, in courses that you wouldn't necessarily expect to exist, but other students are going on to high quality employment. But also there's big regional differences as well. You earn more money in the southeast of England. You earn more money the further south you go and the nearer to London you are. And if you're living in Middlesbrough or Teesside, the earning potential is very different. So there has to be really hard thinking about What you're looking for in that benefit of higher education. Uh, So, yes, salary, but some of it's also about meeting the skills needs of employers and the future, not just now. The other part of it for me is looking at a wider benefit of someone having a higher education. I mean, you look at the evidence around that in terms of better health and well-being, about people engaging. So your podcasts about politics—they're more likely to vote, believe it or not, if you've got a higher education. Um, You're more likely to engage in the community. I'm not saying it's the only factor, and by any means, but you know, these indicators show that people having a broader view of the world. Um, uh, and I'm a big fan of people challenging each other. Debate is important in what we do. That's how you create knowledge uh, within a, a, an institution and within a community. So, like, you know, yes, employment needs to be
0: key, but I don't think we should oversimplify it. There is complexities to it. There didn't seem to be anything for further education in the autumn statement we had recently. Do you feel the government is neglecting the sector?
1: Further education, I think it's had a hard time. Um, it's had a hard time for a long time uh, in, in what it does. Um, I, I've been out to the local colleges here, as you know, I'm a governor in one of the colleges. They're doing fantastic work, you know, uh, people at Regional College, uh, the City College as well. Um, they're really kind of striving to meet the needs of what the city and also the wider region uh, doing. It's got a fantastic set of people there. Um, I I think, you know, sometimes call it the Cinderella sector. It needs investment. It needs support to what it's doing. uh, And, uh, you know, that needs to come forward in terms of policy initiatives. Uh, That being said, I I think there's some kind of really encouraging elements. Um, Robert Halpin, who's uh, currently taking on uh, one of the education brief, it's um, been a big advocate for further education for a long while, big advocate uh, of um, technical education uh, as well. So these kind of things will be important. Uh, I think uh, when you look at the work that colleges are doing, the they're, they're huge impacts on our communities, um, and that's at all levels. So we, you know, you'll know, see that those who are getting some really highly technical uh, ability the the restaurant that's here in the the city that's run by the students uh, we need more people going into hospitality we need more people with those skill sets if you go out you'll you'll know this they're struggling to get staff so having people with those skills are really important if you try and get a tradesperson you'll struggle in some parts. So, um, you know, having high quality further education, I personally, I think, you know, is about, is what's going to make a difference in terms of our region and city and also nationally. But also if you want people to progress to higher education, you need that ladder, you need that, you know, those earlier qualifications. So for example, uh, the Access uh, Diploma that uh, many further education colleges offer, it gives people who are coming back to education often an opportunity to build their skills and knowledge to then progress into HE, take some of the experience they've already built. So um, yeah, let's hopefully there'll be some initiatives that come forward to further support, further education, whether that be capital or revenue
0: support. There have been reports that the government is looking at blocking overseas students from attending all but the top universities as one way to bring down immigration numbers. Uh, What are your initial thoughts on that and how would that affect ARU Peterborough going forward?
1: Yeah, and uh, the sector as a whole has responded to this. So Universities UK, which represents universities across the country, and also uh, Gail Ritchie is another representative group, has responded to this in in the sense that, look, having international students coming to the UK brings a wealth of advantage to us Um, you know it's a bit of soft power um, and soft power is where we can influence countries in different ways Um, and i've seen that firsthand being out into china and into india where people have understood what we're about as a country understand modern britain and what we're doing for their experiences about learning here uh, in the country And I think um, there's a risk about having international students in those immigration figures. My experience of many of those international students is, yes, they want to get a UK education, but they want to take it back and and really invest back into the countries that they uh, decided to come from. Some may want to stay, and look, if we've got high-skilled people who want to stay, contribute to our economy, only seems to be a good thing. And I think actually when you see some of the noise from all parties, that seems to be uh, you know, a great that people wanting to, to stay and contribute makes a, a massive difference to our country. When you talked about the aging population earlier, it's a good example of that. We've got people who are fantastic engineers and scientists and can see how they can support our organizations and companies in the UK, then, then, then wonderful. And there's a, a bit for me as well, do we not want UK uh, students to go and study overseas as well, get the benefits of it? It's one of the, my biggest regrets, not having that opportunity as an undergraduate to go out and study for a year abroad. Um, the students I know have done that. It's been life changing for them. They've come back again, eyes wide open, understanding the world in a different way. Different set of confidence. They often do better than the qualification as well. So when you look at the, the research that's been done around it. So... I'm really open um, to people coming to study in the UK. I think we all benefit from it, but also I, I like the idea of people going, even for short periods of time, to study overseas as well. The understanding of different countries, the benefit you get from understanding different industries and how they operate. We want to be competitive around the world. We need to understand
0: where our competitors are, what they're doing and how we can support. It might be a challenging question given the the role that you have, but is there too much emphasis on trying to get young people to go to university rather than going into the workforce or undertaking apprenticeships, that kind of thing?
1: I think sometimes the debate is again overly simplified. Um, so there's a bit, uh, and some of the things that I've certainly contributed written in the past. I've said this before about this. We talk about going to university as if it's the uh, you know this traditional three year going to stay in student halls, uh, and and for some students absolutely that's a route, but it's not. It's not how a lot of higher education is now delivered. So a good example is the shop short courses that we're offering. You know the help to grow program. We're helping businesses uh, get the capacity to grow their business. We have uh, one funding for uh, to help creative organisations to grow their, organi- uh, their businesses, put expert support in for them. Higher education looks very different than it did 20 years ago when I first started in this. Uh, and it will look completely different in the next 10 years. And one of the things I've done in the past is to look forward. What does it uh, look like? And for some of our, our future students, they'll be dipping and dip out of higher education. They wouldn't have that linear experience of doing a year or three years of a course. They'll build those skills. They'll develop as their skills and their uh, career develops. So when people talk about, kind of, is there enough people in higher education? My, my easy answer is no. Um, but it's what it looks like. Um, so if we think it all just looks at like three years, undergraduate, staying in uh, accommodation and extension of school, nah, I don't think it's going to look like that in the future. There'll be some of that, of course there will. But I think it's a diversity of higher education is a bit. And if we want to be competitive, if we want to make sure that our industries are world leading, we need to make sure that people are learning and we're creating knowledge at every step of their life.
0: Someone in your position is likely to stay out of party politics, but do you see a role for you getting involved in the politics of the city where you think it'd be beneficial to the university or even just as a local resident?
1: Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't get involved in politics at all. I'm not a member of any party. um, uh, However, I have an interest, um, uh, like many people, and and I want the city to be successful. so there's good ideas Um, uh, of course I'll get enthused by good ideas that means the city uh, and the region has been successful uh, on it. Uh, My experience of most politicians, this might be slightly controversial but most politicians I came across actually they've got the best interests at heart Um, particularly local politicians um, uh, and I've had some fantastic experiences working with people from across all uh, the the main parties and uh, when it comes down to you know Better um, support, social care, whatever else, bin collection, all the rest of it, they often align. <laughs> There's not much difference in it. They want the best for their communities. They genuinely do. So, slightly controversial, but I have to say, uh, my experience uh, often of, of local politicians is they're trying to do the best for the communities they come from. And um, I never fail to be surprised at the huge achievements that some of them do. So, um, you know, I'm grateful for them to do what many of us don't do. Have you ever considered becoming a politician maybe in the future? Um, so in the past, I might have done. So when I was much younger, I have absolutely no ambitions whatsoever uh, in the future to, to get into to politics. I, I really don't. Like, I, I want to make a difference in people's lives. So not that different from many politicians. The way that I can see to make a difference is to ensure that people have access to higher education. We develop research, the answer to the big problems, the big issues in our country. That's how I... Can make a difference in people's lives, and probably that's what drew me when I was younger to politics. It wasn't <laughs> necessarily party politics; it was about what difference it would make uh, for people. Uh, often from similar of backgrounds to myself, you know, mum and dad didn't go to university. Um, they were bright, they were ambitious. You know that that's. Kind of, that's the bit that drives me if i can see more people in the city more people in the uk seeing education as a pathway for them getting more people into science and engineering who just wouldn't have ever seen it you know young girls in primary school starting to get excited more of them getting excited about the opportunities to be some of the best civil engineers chemical engineers mechanical engineers in the country that's the bit that really is a win for me so party politics No, and good luck to everyone that's involved in it. I think it's a brutal world to be in. um, uh, But for me, I want to make a difference in people's lives.
0: Finally, in 10 years time, whether you're still the principal or not, what do you hope that you'll see when you look at the university? This is one of the things, obviously, we think uh, a fair bit about. What is the
1: future of the institution? This would have failed as an institution if we only had one phase. So if there was only one building here, that wouldn't have been the outcome that anyone wanted. And it wouldn't have met the 40-year ambition of the city. So for me, I want a vibrant campus scale. I want to see industries on this site researching. But also, it's not just about these buildings, you know. We, what we want to see is people investing in coming to the city to see this uh, as a place where they get high quality workforce, high skilled workforce. So more people moving technical uh, industries into the city and into the kind of wider area uh, for people to benefit from. I, I want, you know, I, I sometimes call it the granny at the bus stop test. It's my Glaswegian in me. But, you know, if we can have it, there's a granny at the bus stop, who's never been to the university herself, but is able to advocate and talk about what we're doing, understands the benefit it's had on the city and saying, you know, know, this is something that's had a tangible benefit on people's lives across this city and region than we have achieved. Um, and look, our ambitions for this institution are not fettered by our size. We want this to be seen as one of the best across the UK. Um, and you know, we shouldn't be. So when people in the city um, ask what we want to achieve, you need to be part of that. You need to make sure that whoever is in this role at any point in the future, 20 years, 30 years from now, Hold them to account push them for this to be the best it can possibly be as an institution.
0: Professor Ross Renton, thank you for joining me on The Politics of Peter. Thank you. And that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening and thanks to Professor Renton for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross underscore Renton. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you get each episode as soon as it's released. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at politicspboro. Please let us know what you thought of the episode. If you have any suggestions as to who you'd like to hear on the show or any questions you'd like us to book to our guests, you can email us at politics.peterborough at hotmail.com. This episode of The Politics of Peterborough was created, hosted, recorded, and edited by me. We'll see you next time.